Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're kind of just jumping into a letter of Paul to the church at Thessalonica. We're going to read three verses here and then we'll spend just a little bit of time talking about the hope that we have. Last Wednesday night, I talked about the hope that we have in the Word of God. And tonight, I want to talk about the hope that we have in the church. I'm thankful for the church, the physical building, the physical body, the, the ability to come together with people of like precious faith. I'm thankful for the church. Amen. I love the church. And um, some of the greatest moments of my life have happened in church and I understand and speak with great deference to people who have been wounded not only who are here in our congregation tonight but those who may join us online I speak with great deference to someone who may have been hurt in the church or even hurt by the church but I'm going to tell you that pales the hurt pales in comparison to the healing and I'm thankful for the healing virtue that has come through the church Praise God. Anywhere you spent an exorbitant amount of time, you would probably find both help and hurt. If you lived your life on Mount Everest, you could probably say, you know, this, this old mountain's been rough on me. At the end of your life, you could probably look back and say, this old mountain's been rough. I've, I've survived some hard winters. But I think someone being truly reflective would say, but this old mountain's been good to me. It's provided me food in the winter, shelter in the storm. Amen. So there are some people that just get hung up on the horror stories. But I want to tell you something. While there has been hurt, I'm thankful for the healing. Amen. The strength, the power, the promises that have come by way of the church. I just wanted to be in the interest of uh, full disclosure, I just wanted to be transparent with you tonight and tell you that I understand everything that happens doesn't feel good. But I'm still thankful for the power and the hope that I have that comes to me from the church. So here's, here's where we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 17, Paul says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. So Paul said, we've been taken from you physically, but we're still connected to you in our heart. But he said, but that's not enough. And we are working, endeavoring more abundantly to see you face to face. Amen. I believe there's something important about face to face church. I'm glad we had online church. I'm glad we had that available to us during the pandemic. But I'm going to tell you, there's something about face-to-face -face church. 
the church at Thessalonica was very, very thrilled to get this letter from Paul. But what they really wanted was not just a letter from the man, but they wanted the man, Paul, and those with him. Verse 18, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So Paul asked this question, what is our hope? And in just a few minutes, I'll answer that through the Apostle Paul because he answers it in the next verse. What is our hope? I knew some of you couldn't resist looking down <laughs> to see what the next verse is. What is our hope? I'm thankful for the church. God bless you and thank you for being here tonight. You can be seated. Thank you for your worship. I want to talk about the hope that we have in the church. Hope is a vital part of our lives. I spoke last Wednesday night in closing about a sunken submarine with sailors at the bottom of the sea just asking, is there hope? Our survival in every way will be exponentially different. The atmosphere will be exponentially different if we know someone is coming to rescue us, if we know there is hope. Because once you start losing hope, every aspect of life becomes more challenging. You're more easily tempted to give up, more easily tempted to give in because people would have the mindset, what's the use? Why try? Why try? I remember sharing this as a matter of fact many, many years ago, but I met a man that I felt like the Lord had just allowed our paths to cross. He was a homeless man, and uh, he came to me and asked me for some money, and I told him that I would not give him money. He said, I would like some money because I'm hungry. I said, well, I won't give you money, but I'll buy you a meal. And as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll join you for a meal. And we were right in the parking lot of a several businesses. One of them was a restaurant. We went in. We sat down and began to eat. I asked him in time when I felt like the setting was right, how did you get here? What led to you being where you are? And uh, this was his story, how valid this is. I have no way to know. He spoke seemingly very sincere. He said, I, I grew up in a very average, very normal home. Um, and he told me what his occupation was as a young man. He married the girl of his dreams and they had a normal life. And for whatever reason, she left him and he said the court awarded her everything and I lost it all. And he said in the process of that, I thought, well, I'll, I'll never do this again. I'll never make this mistake again. And uh, so he lived some few years very guarded, wouldn't let anybody in. And in time, he met someone else, and there was just a repeat of the same thing. And at the end of losing it all the second time, he said, why try? Why, why even bother? And so he chose a route I don't think was the right choice, of course. I'm not condoning that. But it was a very uh, sobering conversation to speak to somebody who in this aspect of their life had just given up. There is no need to try. He said, I don't want to rebuild my life. And so he just chose this path of least resistance 
which would be a horrible, horrible existence if you ask me. And so when people lose hope, they make decisions that are very random. They make decisions that are dangerous. And it was while it was an insightful conversation, um, I did run across him one or two more times. And, uh, and I have no idea where he wound up, prayed for him many times through the years. But I'm gonna tell you that when you lose hope, it can derail you. When your dreams and your hopes and your aspirations are all laying crumbled in a pile. And so I'm not here to condemn this man tonight because, and I hope you're not, because we don't know what we would do if we were faced with certain situations. We have no idea. But people who lose hope stop trying in relationships and sometimes people that have even pressing and ongoing health issues stop trying to maintain good health because they think, well, there is no hope. Or people who have been, uh, their world has been turned upside down financially can think, well, my life is in such shambles. I could never rebuild this aspect. And so there is no need to try again. So if we're not careful, losing hope can make you give up on things that we know are fundamentally sound for us and even God at times. A lot of bad choices are made when people lose hope. And they say to themselves, why press on? Why risk it all again? And somehow or another, they convince themselves. And so why should I try? Why should I press on? And so there are people who say, why should I continue to go to church? Or why should I continue to try to make my children do what's right? Or, or ask and try to influence family and friends to serve God? What's the use in staying morally pure? Or what's the use in trying to live a life of integrity in the world around us that just seems to be coming apart, unraveling at the seams? Lost hope makes people stop trying. And so that's why we need, vitally need hope, real hope, not veiled hope, not frail, thin hope, but real, real hope. Amen. We don't benefit from the lies that are going on around us for somebody to tell us in times, you know, just keep your chin up. Sometimes that's just veiled hope. Amen. We need real hope and real hope comes in the word of God and real hope can come from the body of God. People tell themselves that, that are at the bottom of their life, I'll find it, I'll find hope or I'll find peace, I'll find satisfaction in this or in that. And that's why people are addicted to all manner of things because they're searching for what many people have found. But hope is not gonna be found in the bottom of a glass. It's not gonna be found in a needle. It's not gonna be found in some illicit affair. Hope, real hope is gonna be found when we look to God. And so today when we look at the scripture in his first letter to Thessalonica, Paul and his missionary team had started a church there and they had been ran out by an angry mob. Some of the new converts we read about in, uh, even in Acts, uh, I think Acts 17, where the apostle Paul's life was being threatened because of the gospel and there were people that were trying to save him and spare him and, and they were trying to get him out. And so he writes a letter back to the church of Thessalonica. He writes a letter to them that lets him, them know that you are not forgotten. You, we are still with you in our heart but I long to see you eye to eye. I long to be in your presence. And, and uh, he says, when he writes, his words are charged. I feel the apostle Paul was a man that had such a great 
ability to stay focused on the task at hand. He says it's charged with an implication of hope. Uh, we've tried, Satan is hindered, but we're gonna continue to try. I'm gonna continue to press, amen. So then Paul asked that question, what is our hope? And that is a question that I think all of us need to answer because that answer has a tremendous basis of hope. I believe the answer is getting connected and staying connected to the family of God and we do that by staying connected to the local church. The stronger my ties to the church are, the greater my hope is. Paul asked the question, what gives me hope? He asked the question, and then in the very next verse, verse number 20, he says, what is our hope? He says, you are our hope. You, for ye are our glory and joy. What is our hope? He said, you, you are our glory and you are our joy. I'm gonna be honest with you. It doesn't really matter what song they sing when we get here Sunday. That hadn't even crossed my mind. It doesn't matter to me if it's fast, if it's slow, if it's old, or if it's new. But what really does matter is are you going to be here Sunday? Because I wanna see you eye to eye, not just be here in heart. It doesn't really matter where the text will be taken from on Sunday. What really matters, you know what context I say that in, what really matters is that we are here in the house of God because this is our hope. Being around others that share the same basic values strengthens us. Yes, it does. I believe going to men's conference strengthens men. Just regardless of who's preaching, regardless of who's singing, irrespective of, of, of what the program may or may not be, there's something about coming together with other men of like precious faith that just solidifies something in the heart of an apostolic man. By the same token, I believe something happens, something gels in the heart of a woman. A lady, when they go to ladies' conference and they look around and they see hundreds and hundreds of other apostolic ladies, there's something that is gelled in their faith, in their heart. I will go on. I believe the same thing happens in our children. The same thing happens in the heart of our youth. And so that's why it is so vitally important to have them connected to what's going on in church. There's nothing wrong with participating in extracurricular activities in school and other things of that nature. But if you have your children more invested in those things than you have them invested in the church, wherever they build relationships, that's where they're gonna build their life. Amen, it is so important, so vitally important to understand that our joy, our joy is one another. It's coming together and it will exponentially increase our hope. When, when uh, he got around others that were living for the Lord, the apostle Paul and those with him, it encouraged them. It reminded them of the spiritual truth. It motivated them to continue going, interacting, I believe, with a community of believers, with the church, whether it's the local church or other meetings that we're talking about. I believe that there's something about being together with a community of believers. It's exciting to go to general conference because there's people there not only just from across the nation, but there's people there from around the world that have come together to worship and magnify the name of the Lord. There's something that just, there's just something that solidifies in our heart when you are at one 
Paul believed in building hope through the community of the body of Christ or the church. And we can see this theme is not only here, but really this theme is throughout all of the writings of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a people person. He understood how to relate to people. And he endured a lot of trouble in his life. And it's so important when you're studying all the things about the life of Paul that we study all the things about the life of Paul. He wasn't just a great writer, an influential speaker, but Paul had a lot of hills to climb. In a lot of battles, he had enemies that didn't want to just hurt him. They wanted to kill him. He was beaten within an inch of his life on several occasions. Other times, I mentioned a moment ago, he had to flee because there were people that were coming there to kill him. Thessalonica was just one of those cities. He fought storms in the sea, which led to shipwrecks. That also threatened his life. He battled Satan constantly for the lives of those that needed to hear the saving message of the gospel. He was arrested. He was put in jail. He suffered hunger and he suffered need. And the list goes on and on and on. And yet when he had a chance, he picked up a pen and he wrote down, I'm with you in heart, but we're fighting everything that we can. We're fighting the devil himself to be with you face to face and eye to eye. Every time you read his letters, he's writing something filled with hope. Nothing seemed to get him down. And I think that's why we should pay attention to his answer to the question, what gives us hope or where is our hope? This man knew what he was talking about. He wouldn't let the challenges of life overwhelm him. He overcame them by the hope that was in his own heart. In this brief passage of scripture that I share with you tonight, he fills us in on as to why he himself was so hopeful. The passage speaks about three things that I think we can focus on to increase our hope. Things that if I establish in my life and you establish in yours are gonna have us, cause us rather to have a more positive outlook on the things around us irrespective of the battles that we're fighting. I believe with all of my heart that we should make every effort we possibly can to be in the house of God. Every time we get the chance, I wanna take every opportunity that I can to be in the house of God. This is what I do know about when we start allowing things to get in the way. When we start allowing the things to get in the way, the devil will make sure there's always something in the way. And it becomes easier and easier and easier, but that's why I've got to nail some things down. I've got to make some decisions on the the other side of the battle. I've got to make that decision now. He said, when we were taken away from you, in verse 17, for a short presence, in presence, not in heart. In, In a short time, he said, or for a short time, in presence, not in heart. He said, we endeavored... We endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. When we were hindered, when we had to leave, something in me said, I've got to get back and I'm going to have to try harder next time than I did this time. Amen. Look at that phrase, endeavored the more abundantly. You can believe that Paul really understood the value of what it meant to spend time with a community of people of like precious faith. If you want your hope to be strong, this must be a habit in our lives that I am going to the house of God. I'm thankful. I've said many times, I will say it as long as I have breath, I'm thankful to have been raised in a home where I never one time heard the discussion, are we going to church today? Are we going to church tonight? That decision had been made 
<laughs> right. That decision had been way, 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 way before I got on this planet. And I was raised in an atmosphere that we're not just going to our local church, but we're going to camp meeting. We're going to, we're going to fellowship meetings. We're going to whatever we can to plug ourselves into that. Amen. And so once I believe that, that it was Joshua that said, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, I can't help what happens down the road. I can't help what's going on across the aisle. Can't help what's going on in another family. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a good thing to have a custom to do that. We even read about this custom in the life of Jesus in Luke 4 and 16. The Bible says that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up for it to read. And so this wasn't his first time. He wasn't walking in trying to get the lay of the land. This was his custom. This was his ordinary. This was his common. Amen. You know, I, I believe that I'm not alone when I say this, that our lives are so centered around church when for whatever reason we have to cancel a service, it throws my whole week off because everything bounces off Sunday and Wednesday. Am I right? I know that would be true in my life because I'm the pastor, but I don't think that I'm the only one. Our life is so centered around church so that when we miss something of that, amen, so when we look at the life of Jesus, the scripture says, as his custom was. I found out this a long time ago, that if I make church attendance a habit, it's not that difficult. This is what I'm going to do, amen. There are people right here in this audience that could find your coffee pot in the morning in the pitch black. You could almost tell me how many steps it is once you turn right out of the room. You can find the button without a light because that's our habit. Amen? So I'm gonna ask you tonight you don't need to answer this, but are you going to have coffee in the morning? You haven't even thought about it. You haven't thought about this afternoon. You are not prepared for that question. You're not prepared for that question to be asked, but there's a lot of people that can answer it because you're, you're shaking your head right now. As Brother Leroy Richard would say, if God's be willing, <laughs> if the Lord willing, if he gives me breath, that's what we're going to be doing because that's a habit. Not a, not a bad habit, but it's a habit. And so I want church to be just that kind of habit. I want there to be no question whether I'm going to be there Sunday, no question whether I'm going to be there Wednesday night. Amen. I grew up in a home like that. I wanted to create a home like that for our son. I wanted to create an atmosphere like that. It's not a question of whether we're going. Amen. I don't want to do that because I'm the pastor. Absolutely not. I want to be in church because I'm a child of God. He gave his life for me. Amen. The least I can do is serve him and come and lift up my voice when I get through giving him my all tonight, when we get through giving our very best tonight, when we walk away from here, we can all say, I wish I could have and would have done more. Amen, I need the local church. I need you. I need your faith. <clears throat> I need your praise. I need the worship tonight that I felt here in this service because there's something about 
people that fans the flame and it encourages our heart and it just presses us forward. Paul understood that isolation is not good for your hope. The Bible said David wrote these words that God said at the solitary into families. And so of the most hopeless people in the world are people that are isolated for whatever reason. The worst kind of punishment that a prison system can give is solitary confinement. You know why? Because God created mankind with a need to live and function in a community. And so when you and I are able to spend time with others, or not, or when we're unable rather to spend time with others, it affects our hope. Absolutely it does. When we lose contact with others, we're more likely, people are more likely at large to become despondent to become discouraged, to get depressed. Many people in, in our world, many people in the world, and certainly people in our nation, and I will be more specific and tell you that people in all of our communities were, were uh, exposed to a lot of isolation that we, that we as a nation were not accustomed to during the pandemic. Some people didn't leave their home for weeks. Some of them for months did not leave. And so, and so there was a great sense of discouragement and, and, a, and a great sense of despondency among communities. And so it was that uh, law of unintended consequences. We're, we're locking down. We understand why. We understand that we're trying to flatten the curve and all of those things. But the law of unintended consequences is that it took humanity that is supposed to be in a community and it isolated us and it affected children. It affected young people. It affected middle age. It affected many, many families. And so that's why it felt so good to come back to church. Amen. I don't even remember what the songs were we sang the first day that we came back. Amen. I say that with great respect to our singers and musicians. And, and it, it, it felt good to be back. And it was wonderful to hear them sing and to play. But the big win was that we were together face to face. That we were finally together flesh to flesh. Paul said we endeavored the more abundantly when Satan tried to pull us apart, we, attract, we endeavor more abundantly to see you face to face. In other words, he said we tried harder and harder to get back. Like Paul, I believe that we had to try hard to stay faithfully connected to church because it takes effort. It takes effort, but the investment pays off in huge dividends. I believe that we have cannot give up just because Satan is trying to hinder and frustrate because he hinders and frustrates a lot. He said in, in verse 18, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. And so we need to understand something. If the enemy has tried this hard to keep you away from church, there's a reason. There is a reason. He knows how powerful church is gonna be to your hope. He's not just trying to keep you from hearing a song. And I want to be real specific and tell you that he may not even be trying to keep you from hearing a specific sermon. But there's something that happens when the body comes together as a body. Hope is, the, the flames of hope become fan. He knows how powerful church is to our hope and our connection and how important it is to the people of faith. So he constantly throws obstacles in the way. 
try to keep us from being a part of church. He'll do whatever he can to keep you out and to keep us out of corporate worship services. He'll do whatever he can to keep us from joining or participating in, in, in various ministries of the church. He'll keep you from inviting other people to your home or accepting the invitation from others to come to their home because he understands the value of disconnection. If I can keep you isolated, he'll tell you a lie. Try to pull you away slowly, incrementally, just step by step. I'm gonna tell you from my observation of decades now, there's very few people that have ever just backslid overnight. I know it may look sudden. It may look like a decision that was just made in a moment, but it started a long time ago. Just a little disconnection here, a little discontentment here, a little dissension here, a little dissension there. And after a while, the enemy is just slowly but surely pulling away and wearing down. Amen. He wants nothing more than to see you and I disconnected from the body of Christ. In John 8 and 44, Jesus said this about the devil, that he was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there was no truth in him. Amen. The Bible says of the devil that he can't abide in truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks, he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. And the scripture said, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so when the devil's whispering something in your ear against somebody in the church or against the leadership of the church, hear me, there is no truth in that because there's no truth in him. Amen. We need to say, Lord, help me to deafen my ears to the cry of the devil that's trying to separate me from my church and my church family and the ministries of the church because my hope is going to be found when I connect myself and keep myself connected to the church. Amen. He'll tell you how messed up the church is. It is. I confess. I confess willfully. I'm not proud of that. The church is messed up because you belong to it. It's the truth. The church is all goofed up because we're here. Because we signed up. Because we put our name on the roll. When we said we make this our church, we blew it. We blew it. <laughs> church is made up of imperfect people. It's people that are here for a reason. I mean, that's like going to the hospital and saying, man, I gotta get out of here. Ain't nothing here but sick people. Well, where are they supposed to go? Don't go to the emergency room and be shocked because there's blood and bleeding people and somebody, their eyes are swollen shut. Don't, don't be shocked because somebody's whizzing by on a gurney. That's why the hospital is there. The church is not a museum filled with artifacts of Christianity. The church is an emergency room. It's for bleeding people. It's for hurting people. Amen. And so when we come together, our praise and our worship, we're gonna pull heaven and earth together let the healing balm of Gilead flow. It's where answers can be found. It's where direction can be given. It's where hope exists, not just for the sinner, but hope exists for the saints. Amen, hope. That's why the Bible gives us these responsibilities. Ephesians 4 and 3, endeavoring. That word means working hard to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You gotta work hard to keep peace. You gotta work hard to keep peace in the church. Absolutely. 
And you have to work hard to keep peace in your home. I don't care how long you've been married. How in love you are. How much your heart pitters patters when the other person walks by. You can just be riding down the road and somebody say something and you think it's just a little bit off key and it is on. <laughs> on. So it's no wonder it's hard to keep peace in the church. We can have a wonderful service on Sunday. <laughs> I didn't know I was going here, so I know you didn't know I was going here. That's why Paul said endeavor. You've got to endeavor to keep the peace. I'm just going to ask you something. Have you ever just closed your mouth when you had something you could have said? I mean a good one. You had a zinger. You know, you said, just, just going to hush. And just endeavoring to keep <laughs> the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. After a while, you both were okay. It wouldn't have been worth what you could have said. <laughs> no matter how good you think it's going to feel. So sometimes you just got to endeavor to keep the peace. Everything's not all right. I'm not always blind, not always deaf. But sometimes we're just endeavoring to keep the peace. If we just keep driving a few more miles, one of us may say, well, that's a pretty house up there on the hill, isn't it? <laughs> and the next news you know, all that tension that was in the cab of that truck or that car is gone. It's like somebody rolled down the window. And so sometimes in church, you're just trying to get a few more miles down the road. That's all we're, we're just trying to get through Sunday and we're just hoping for Wednesday. That's all we're doing. Amen. <laughs> I'm way too transparent here tonight. Because we're just hoping after a while, somebody says, well, that was a great song tonight, wasn't it? And the next news you know, we're just rolling again. Praise God. Man, oh man. Speaking of music, maybe you all ought to come. <laughs> now, I've got a big shovel in my hand and I'm digging deeper. So if you'll come, that will help maybe, maybe. So you don't have to agree on everything to be in the church, but we do have to work to get along. And so here's what I've said for years. We don't ever have to see eye to eye on every issue. But what we really do need to do is stand shoulder to shoulder. We're going to stand together. Amen. If you try to see eye to eye on everything, you're not going to get anywhere. And so, you know, I, I read an illustration several years ago. Someone said, how can you, you know, get along with this person? They're so different and their likes. I read this illustration along these lines. The writer said there's only one way and that's standard pitch. He said on the platform there are various stringed instruments of pianos, guitars, etc. And the people that play these musical instruments are not trying to tune their instruments to one another. They use a tune that is standard. 
We're not trying to tune to one another. We're trying to tune to the standard. And so the only way we can live in harmony in the church is to stay in tune with God. He's the standard. And so we don't try to tune to you, you to me. The Bible says they that measure themselves among themselves are not wise. So we just have the standard, the standard. When we first came here to, to pastor, there was an elderly gentleman, Sister Donna would remember, the elderly gentleman that used to tune the piano. And he didn't use any instruments, he used the tuning fork. And he would just wrap that on his hand, hold it to his ear. He would tune, 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 tune. Until he came to that perfect pitch. And so what we need tonight are, are not just newfangled ideas, we just need to stay tuned to him. He's the standard, he is the standard, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand. Hebrews 10 23 said, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another, here it is, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. That means encouraging, exhorting, lifting up one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. If there was ever a day that the leaders of a church needed to be encouraged. It's today. Encourage your children's Sunday school teachers. Encourage people that are in any measure or manner of leadership in the church. Encourage them. Not, not falsely. You're the greatest. You're the best. I don't mean it that way. But to encourage them. Stand shoulder to shoulder. Defend them. Uphold them. Amen. And so, you know, um, we could ask where would a church be if it had a rotating pulpit? What would happen if you didn't know from service to service? Now, I know we have several people that speak here. That's not what I'm talking about. But what would happen if you didn't know from service to service who was going to be in charge? If there was not a pastor of the church? What a horrible thing to come and and you don't even know. You're just hoping maybe headquarters sent somebody and you're hoping it all pans out, hoping it all works out. And we, we would think what a tragedy that would be. But, but what would happen if you didn't know from service to service if there's going to be anybody here to preach to or teach to or not? What a tragedy. And so it matters whether or not you're here. I, I, and I, the first several years of our marriage, I didn't uh, do all that much cooking and, and over the years, I've really enjoyed cooking more and more and, and don't mind doing that at all and, and, and offer to do it from time to time. But I, I used to never understand what my wife would say when she set the plate down or the food and she'd say, it's ready. It's getting cold. Come on. You know, I wasn't trying to be cavalier. I wasn't trying to be unconcerned. I'll be there in a minute. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm finishing up. But once I started cooking... Now when it's done, I'm ready for everybody to stop everything you're doing. I'm being way, way, way transparent here tonight. I'm just gonna be honest with you. When it's Wednesday and Sunday, I'm expecting you to be here. You know why? Because it's done. It's on the table. <laughs> Don't text me. I'm, I'll be there in a little while. It's hot now. 
It's hot now. Amen. It's never going to be better. Do you love me? I sure hope you love me. Amen. It's hot now. When Satan opposes us, when Satan opposes us, that's why we got to press harder. Submit yourselves, the scripture says, to the Lord. You know, we love to quote the latter portion of that. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But there's a prerequisite to that resisting power. And that is submission. <laughs> Submit yourself to the Lord. Then resist the devil. Amen. I will end with this. This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I do. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love. It will be a church of faith and a church of service if I, who make it what it is, am filled with these qualities myself. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all the things that I want my church to be. Amen. And so we can't just say I'm thankful to be a part of a praying church. The real question is, and I'm not addressing what you said earlier, but we can't just say I'm thankful to be a part of a praying church. We got to real, the real question is, am I praying? I'm thankful to be a part of a giving church. That's a wonderful question, but the real question is, are you giving? I'm thankful to be a part of a sacrificing church but are you sacrificing? That's the real question. I want all of these things in the church, my church. And so if I want that to be in my church, then I have got to make sure that I bring those qualities with me. Amen. Lord, I love you tonight. Let's this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.